0: your online community for positive change. 7th Wave Network
1: Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone.
2: Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. Lauren Deller, my co-host, and Catherine Zox. And I heard that little, Uh, was that you, Lauren? (laughs) It was.
3: I can't get away with anything.
2: No, you can't. Are you awake? I'm you know,
3: very awake.
2: I know you are. You just emailed me, and I want to clarify because I've had listeners ask me this. Usually, I send out e cards about you know a week, not always a week before. Sometimes it's a week after, but at least telling what's on the show each week. And you said to me, you haven't been getting my the e cards, the descriptions of the show, and I the did, reason I did, I did
3: say that. Yeah, I noticed.
2: Yeah, you know why? Because I haven't been doing them because I have been at. The cape the cape cod uh-huh. provincetown massachusetts but i have returned
3: you're
2: yeah i am it's sort of like but i am following you're my business coach and one of the things that you always say is like maintain a balance mm-hmm. so i want to go on vacation i still want to do my show which i do but i had to eliminate some Something. of the extra work got
3: it got it got it now i understand yeah
2: so that's why you haven't gotten e-cards but you'll be getting them now that i'm back on track and i'm back in albany and i'm trying to adjust it's Adjusting is not easy, but you know it's like we came back on Sunday night, and it's sort of like I got to get my balance back here because I've been used to being on the Cape for two months. Now I'm Poor back. Poor girl.
3: Yeah.
2: I know. Feel <laughs> sorry for me. <laughs> um, you don't have to feel sorry for me because I know you've been racing around. You've been all over the place giving lectures, doing. Right, I've been busy, girl,
3: and it's going to pick up, which is interesting.
2: So. You're going to be the, They're very busy. You have to belong to that Speakers Bureau. You know, there's a major Speakers Bureau, which I'm sure you're.
3: I am aware of. Aware that. of,
2: yeah. And I guess once you get onto that, it's a. I forgot what is it? National Speakers Bureau. No, and they have yeah, it is National Speakers Bureau. And they have special stuff for women, and so that if you do that, then you end up getting paid quite a bit for your speeches. I think. Isn't yeah, and true? I'm not even on it, and I'm busy. So it's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, imagine right. Um, we only have one guest today, and, uh, but he's, he's, he's a, uh, a professor at the University of Chicago and has written, uh, co-authored a book, Loneliness, Human Nature and the Need for Social Connection. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and speaking of co- social connection, Lauren, you, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you've been watching the Democratic. Uh, oh, I'm glued. Yeah. Glued to it. Which, yeah. um, I have to say I'll be glued next week as well just because I'm so
3: curious about this particular election. Um, but I don't think I'm the only one.
2: So you'll be good next week. You're going to be watching the Republican convention. I'm going to
3: watch. I want to see what's so you know different, and
2: I want to see what's what I like about it, what I don't like about it. Well, one of my friends said to me, she's watching. She's a Democrat, and she's you know as so am I, and we're watching the thing. And she said, but now next week I, you know, I'm turning it off. I'm not going to watch the Republicans. And I said, why not? You need to know what the other side is thinking. Why cut yourself off? I agree like with that. It's really important to understand the issues from both points of view and especially from the other person's point of view. I learn more, Lauren, from listening to other people's talk shows it's who true. I hate. <laughs> it's true. I agree with that. Yeah. You
3: learn more about what you don't want. and. You get I don't know, you get clear. I have a friend and big fish. She, I just love this girl. And over the past year, she's just been... Um, I just have grown to love her. I just met her face-to-face a couple weeks ago in Dallas. Oh, not in Dallas. Where did I meet her? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, she, yeah, was Dallas. But she says that she realizes that now... She used to, like, block out everybody else's new perspective. She always thought it was like she wanted nothing to do with it. But her whole new... She's a, new, a whole new woman. She says... Her, the more perspective she has, she feels like the more rich she is. Like she gets herself better because of other people's perspectives.
2: And it can and stuff that you really don't believe in, but you, 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 it validates your own, your own, I think, perspective. Isn't that what exactly? I agree with that. But you have to know the other side. You You got to watch both of it, not just yeah. So. uh, And I do that. Like I say, I mean, I really, I I listen to other to talk shows. That's part of what I do in the mornings when I wake up. And I have like two or three, I'm not going to say who they are, that I don't think are very good. And so I listen to those, and those are really helpful because I pick it out. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Exactly. Yeah, and so that's probably more helpful than listening to, well, you know, I like Howard Stern. So I listen to Howard, Mm -hmm. and then I pick out the stuff. Whoa, I'd love, you know, I'd love that. But um, anyway, yeah, so you love her better than me or
3: no how could i you know the more you get to know somebody the more you like them
2: yeah or the more well
3: well i shouldn't say that you know the more you get to know someone that you generally like a little bit the more you get to know them the more you realize well they're just well wet rounded because the more you know the more you realize they have so many
2: facets so it's just fun so i get to know a lot of people Yeah, well, that's the thing, and that's what I feel like. That's what I do on the radio. I interviewed somebody a couple weeks ago. This is a book you need to read, Shelley Lewis. Five lessons I didn't, I didn't learn from breast cancer, and one big one I did. Because ladies who are listening, the name is the book. That's the whole title. Five lessons I didn't learn from breast cancer, and then it's parentheses, and one big one I did, Shelley Lewis. Yeah, and because there are a lot of ladies listening, I know who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, and we or friends or family. I, I don't know anybody who hasn't either been diagnosed or had a friend or mother or sister or, uh, who hasn't uh, hasn't been diagnosed or has breast cancer. I mean, it's a horrible thing, but it's true. But she kind of takes like a, not the, it's kind of an interesting point of view because she doesn't go along with all the stuff, you know, the pink ribbons, racing for the cure. I not know. that that's a bad thing, because you know. need to raise it's, money. Yeah. But, her thing is that you know she doesn't want to be identified as a person with breast cancer and a survivor because she feels that she uh is not she doesn't want to be diagnosed uh, Be labeled as a survivor, but as someone who she is who she is before she had breast cancer and after, and who she was and and who she is is given her the ability to deal with her illness. But she would never wish it on anyone, or she never, you know, what bothers her when people say that oh, it was a gift and it changed my life. She said, I don't want that gift. It was not a gift. She would never say that. She just has a very different and interesting perspective. But
3: she's saying, I wouldn't. I don't want it. But I did learn from it.
2: She said, well, she didn't necessarily learn from it, from breast cancer, but she realized all the strengths that she had prior to be getting, being diagnosed and getting breast cancer helped her to be able to cope. But it wasn't the disease itself that made her strong. She was a strong person to begin Before. with. So she's,
3: she's realizing what she, skills she had or um, yes. tools she had in her hip pockets for
2: dealing with it well. Exactly interesting. Yeah, it's ex- that's exactly it. So anyway, and and she writes it with humor too. So she cuz she's she's a funny lady. But anyway, that's a book that I recommend Five Lessons I Didn't Learn From Breast Cancer and one big one I did. Um so, all right. Where are you going next? Albany. <laughs> 2 weeks. No, 1 week. Well, can we have dinner?
3: Yeah, I have a, it's going to be crazy, but yes, I'm sure at some point we can cuz I'm there for uh I'm there, but it's interesting. I'm speaking a lot while I'm there. I'm flying out to do speaking gigs, and Sierra's going to stay with my mother or whomever, Raps Mom. I don't know where he's going to be yet. So, yes, I'm sure we'll we'll fit it in.
2: I'll take you out for dinner. You're so funny. Yeah. It's on me. (laughs) You do not need to do that. (laughs) Yes, I do. I want to take Uh, you out for dinner. And there's some, uh, well, there are several good restaurants. I was just going to say, any good new ones? Uh, Yeah, there's one up in Saratoga that's really good. And I don't know if it's new. They just changed Venues and it's like this Italian restaurant, great food. Oh, we could go there. I don't care, as long, as long as we eat late. That's all I care about. I fell asleep last night, Lauren. You Barry, didn't, you didn't my boyfriend, was the... over. We made this, you know, he barbecued. We had this great dinner. We were going to sit down and listen. we listened to Bill Clinton. We were going to do Joe Biden. You missed and Joe Biden. I fell asleep. <laughs> oh no! That's the only one I saw.
3: I missed Bill Clinton. Wait, I, wait till you hear the story I had last night. But I saw, so I saw Joe Biden. You tell me about Bill Clinton. I'll no, you tell about, me
2: about Bill. How'd you miss Bill? Oh, Boy, this did he look the Craziest good.
3: story. This is the craziest. So, our, we have an air, two air conditioners in our house. The bedroom side broke. Yes, uh, it broke a couple weeks ago. My husband decided after he's traveling, gone. No, you know, California has been all week for five days, and yesterday was the day that the air conditioning company was going to replace it. They were in our house disaster mess you know people in the house you know big rags put down so they don't get the floors dirty you know just like that all day long loud banging crazy noises i mean i'm trying to work in my office and i see strangers walking all over my outside of my house inside my house outside my house so they're here and i left for work i just am like i'm gonna go find some place to work so i'm i leave i get some work done i come back everybody's gone and i'm thinking it's working 87 degrees on one side of the house, in our bedroom side of the house, at 5 o'clock at night. I said, this is crazy. So I call the company. They come back. They do some fixing for two hours. In the meantime, they knock out my cable and Internet, and I don't know it because I'm hanging out with Sierra. So here I am, 87 degrees, no cable, no Internet. <laughs> See, and, and a baby. I would, that's and that's a enough to make baby. you crazy. And a sick baby. Oh. She had a fever. She was sick. She just wanted to, you know...
2: Oh my God! Do you start crying? See, I, I, st- I mean, I am one of those who I uh, keep on. You know, you have to take care of the baby. You got to take care of the guys who came to fix the air conditioning and then ruined your cable, which always happens. That's why I don't like the, them to come and fix things because if they fix one thing, they ruin something else. Well, and they I've did. Learned, they yeah, did. and they, they ruined do, it. And they do it well. And <laughs> I, I could. You can. I, I would just sit down and and, and cry. Go I in my office and cry. Sometimes and then I do. Last yeah. night I
3: didn't. I was laughing, but I was really annoyed because I really wanted to see Bill Clinton's speech. So I get finally get Sierra to sleep at nine thirty. She just, you know, when you're sick, your sleep is off, and so everything is off. Yeah, she didn't go yeah. to sleep well last night at all. So anyway, I cli- They're not here yet. To fix the people that fix everything is not. They're not here yet. At nine thirty last night. Finally at ten o'clock they show up. So I climb up in my attic, which by the way, in Texas. I can't even tell you. At, there's no such thing as basements, and attics are disgusting. Like I'm afraid to go up there because there's scorpions and oh, oh my kinds god, of
2: bugs and stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah. But I had, I want. Well, I was, so did you watch? We got two minutes left. Did you see Clinton or not? No, missed him. Well, now you have to go on. You can go on. I think MSNBC, and you can see the you can see the whole thing. I mean, I'm saying that I'm not sure, but that's what I end up doing because that's what I'm going to do. I want to see Joe Biden's speech in the same way. They have like the archives. You have to see Joe, Joe Biden did a great job. He's cute, (laughs) Joe Biden.
3: And wait till you see his mom. Oh my God, loved her, sweet little woman. And the stories he told about his mother, I was in tears.
2: Uh, And his wife is beautiful. His wife is beautiful. Married thirty years. Professor, I mean, she's like this very cool lady. And uh, Ann Curry was interviewing their son. And referred to her, their son, the two boys whose mother died in the car crash. Did you see that? And she said to him, "Referred to him as as, as your stepmom, and you get along so well." And he said, "She's not my stepmom. She's my mom. I've had two moms." And then he started to cry. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but anyway, you know, what's wrong with me? I think Joe Biden is adorable. Bill Clinton. I need help. (laughs) It just goes to show how old you're getting. It does, but, but I have I, to tell you, I'm only 42, and I still think they're both attractive men. Yeah, I do so. too. I mean, and Bill lost weight because I know I can tell. He looks many, pretty hot. He does. He looks very. Had a great haircut. Uh-huh. Um And and then Michelle, she also lost weight and got buffed, and her hair is gorgeous. M- Michelle um, Obama. Obama.
3: She was looking pretty hot too. Yeah.
2: So um, they're all they were all buffed out
3: last night. Yeah, they, they definitely were. Until we see Obama tonight. Well,
2: I know. Well, he always looks good. You know, is, so he, I, I know he is. He's a rock star. Well, because he's young and he's thin and he's out there and he's got this demeanor and he does have a very presidential demeanor, I think, anyway, um, and. Has plenty as Bill Clinton pointed out, he has enough experience. They said that Bill Clinton didn't have enough experience and that he was too young when he became president. And you know what? Did Bill say that? Yeah, he did. I love that. Yeah, he said that in his speech because he said, you know, everyone criticized him. He was too young and too young to be president. And they said the same thing about him as they're saying about Obama. And we have thirty seconds left to go, so we're going to take a break before our guest. Uh, Our next guest, our only guest, author of Loneliness. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women's Network. And my co-host is Lauren Beller. Don't go away because we will be back in a minute.
0: We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network.
4: America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. Skills USA can help. What is Skills USA?
5: Skills USA is life changing.
4: Skills USA is awesome.
1: Skills USA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you.
3: Skills USA is amazing.
1: Skills USA is motivating. Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states.
4: Holistic Health and Well-Being covers many facets, including stress, time management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your Life Without Limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network.
2: Back to the Catherine Zox Show. Good morning, and thanks for joining us this morning. Lauren Beller, my co-host, and Catherine Zox on Voice America Women's Network. And joining us this morning is my guest, is our guest, author of Loneliness, Human Nature, and the Need for Social Connection, John T. Kashopo. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but he will tell me. When describing the things that make them happy, most people rate romantic love, Intimacy and friends and family even above their physical health. And now pioneering research conducted by University of Chicago psychology professor John T. Casciopo shows that when we are deprived of a satisfying sense of social connection, far more than our happiness is at stake. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, John. Thank you very much. If I can call you, John, I don't have to pronounce your last name, but tell me, how do you pronounce it?
5: It's Oppo, You did fine. Thank okay,
2: you. good. <laughs> All right, loneliness, human nature, and the need for social connection. First, um, John, what is loneliness, and why do we need to understand loneliness and its impact on us as individuals and also on society?
5: Right. Loneliness is the pain you feel when you, your need for connection isn't being met, and you can feel that anywhere, uh, even when surrounded by friends or family. When you're literally alone, that's called physical isolation. And you can experience that as pain, that would be loneliness, or blissful solitude. So the physical isolation isn't as important as the perception of isolation. Why is it important? Because it affects everything from psychological states and well-being to um, your behavior, your ability to solve complex problems, self-regulate, and uh, also your your biology. So in your book you talk about the fact that loneliness can... Uh, be
2: just as damaging to us as obesity, um, as, as alcoholism, as, as certain kinds of addictions, and it can also lead to high blood pressure, a decline in the immune system, and has really a dramatic increase in the, as you say, the corrosive effects of stress, which is really a bad thing. So it's really
5: important for under, to understand loneliness
2: and how we can avoid it.
5: Right. I mean, no one wants to be you know sad and have that sense of emptiness that one has when they feel lonely. But one of the surprising aspects of our research is we've shown that it affects uh, physiology profoundly. It affects brain. It affects hormonal levels. It affects the stress hormones that circulate throughout the body. Uh, It affects one's sleep, and it affects uh, cardiovascular immunity and even genetic transitions uh, within cells.
2: So, John, how big a problem is it in the United States? How many of us You know, in terms—I mean, you've done the research. How many of us are suffering from loneliness?
5: It's about 60 million people in the United States alone. It's 20% of the population uh, complains of loneliness at uh, at frequent or intense uh, times at at any point in time.
2: Right. So, 60 million people is a lot of people, Uh, and and you talked about loneliness has is a subjective concept, right? That's what you're talking about. I mean, you can be in the middle of New York City, surrounded by a lot of people, working in a big corporation with tons of people, and yet you can still feel lonely. Right. That's the, uh,
5: people uh, who are married, on average, are less lonely than those who are not married. But people who are unmarried can be highly integrated and feel connected, and some individuals who are married um, are feeling estranged from their spouse and family and really suffer quite serious feelings of uh, isolation in that setting. Well, the first chapter you describe
2: a young woman, maybe you can talk to us about her, who came from a, a, a big family in a small town and, um, and, and then moved to a city uh, and always experienced a sense of loneliness. I mean, she's a good case, a good example. I always like to give examples. I think it makes it easier for listeners to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about the concept of loneliness.
5: Right. This is the case of Katie Bishop, uh, an artificial name, obviously, to Protect confidentiality, but this is a woman who, um, even as a child, felt uh, the pains of rejection more sharply than those around her and thought, well, you know, what I need to do is to leave the small town, go to the big city, and things will get better. But and she also, we have to say, she was surrounded by aunts and uncles and cousins, lots of family. Right, right. In her small town, she had many people around her. Uh, but just, uh, you know, all of us undergo feelings of isolation at various points in our life uh, due to circumstance, and, and her pain was particularly sharp. And so she, she attributed that, obviously, to the context, changed context, went to a new job uh, at a distant, large city, and found herself feeling incredibly isolated and depressed and found herself burying her problems in comfort food and ice cream, and obviously none of this was was actually dealing effectively with the problem and We use that case as an example of trying to match some people have very sharp pains with when they find themselves disconnected, others not so sharp that's a that's an inherited difference that uh people have. So, is there? Are you saying, John, that there's a genetic
2: component to like being sensitive to
5: loneliness or or
2: experiencing loneliness?
5: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. We we did a uh, a, a twin study with Dirk uh, Boomer, who directs the Netherlands Twin Register, and we found that uh, loneliness was about fifty percent heritable, and about fifty percent environmental. But that doesn't mean that what's inherited is this sense of loneliness per se. What's being inherited is a sensitivity of that signal when you're disconnected. And if one is insensitive, if one doesn't pay attention to that signal or know what it is, then like Katie Bishop, one can respond inappropriately and end up and uh, a chronic state of loneliness. See, I think I'm one of those people who's insensitive. <laughs> and I have
2: a boyfriend who's very sensitive, much more so than I. Uh, I can entertain myself. I very seldom feel lonely, whether I'm with people or not with people. If I'm with people, that's great, and I have a sense of social connectedness. But if I'm alone, I also feel good. So I think I, I don't know if that's less sensitive or what, but probably don't have that genetic predisposition.
5: It may be, but uh, take hunger. Uh, hunger is an aversive cue that helps keep you alive and keeps the level of calories in your body sufficient for uh, you know, energy and metabolism. Uh, if one ignored that hunger signal, some of us may feel it intensely, some may feel it more mildly when, when our blood sugar drops, uh, but if one ignores it, then there's real damage to the body that would result. And loneliness is serving a very similar purpose. It's an evolved signal that uh, is our behavior it's a signal that we're no longer connected to those around us and that's something fundamental that's something very important for our survival and if we ignore that signal that's when the problems start to occur that's when you see the biological changes in the poor health that uh, uh, associated with that that, that signal
2: John, how does this fit into our, you know, our current sort of society in terms of the internet of sort of being connected by cell phones all the time? There, there is this sense that we are connected uh, and that we have the opportunity to be connected at any time, anywhere, uh, which is different than it was, say, ten years ago. Because you know, whether it's uh, blackberries or iPhones or all those kinds of things, how does that impact on our sense of?
5: loneliness or our ability to be socially connected. It's actually interesting, the demographic changes that we've seen. Uh, in 1984, uh, in a national survey, uh, people were asked, how many confidence do you have? And the most frequent answer was three. That question was asked again in 2004, and the most frequent answer was zero. That's a dramatic change in the number of confidence that we have, the, the, the sense in which we are becoming more isolated. There aren't people to whom we can talk or turn to. Technology plays a complex role. Uh, About 15 years ago in Carnegie Mellon, uh, a study was done where they randomly assigned some individuals to have access to the Internet, others not. So it's not a selection process. People are being randomly ordered to have access or not. And they found to their surprise that getting access to the Internet was associated with increased levels of loneliness and depression. What happened was people were moving from face-to-face contacts say internet contacts, which is a very thin-stranded form of connection. Now, Subsequent research has shown that the internet and other technological devices can increase or decrease loneliness depending on how it's used. If you're isolated because of disability, it can be a real boon. If you're using it to protect yourself or hide from others, then it increases loneliness.
2: So it's how you use it. It's not the fact that we have access to it. It's how you use it. And I'm thinking about when I had my when I was pregnant and had my first child, I felt so isolated just you know, because I had to be home with the baby. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a show for women, and I think a lot of women probably can identify with this. And yes. I thought if I had, had at least had the Internet, it wouldn't have been a substitute, but I could have you know, connected with other adults in ways that I, I wasn't able to do then when I had my kids. So that would have been a help.
5: Precisely. That's exactly the kind of circumstance where technology has decreased levels of loneliness. Technology is also used to coordinate and, and actually uh, orchestrate meetings, face-to-face meetings. I mean, the key is it's, it doesn't really substitute for face-to-face interactions. There's a lot that goes on in that transaction that we've not been able to achieve through you know electronic means yet. Yeah, my mother, who is like...
2: 85 years old always, you know, she has a computer and she always says to me, you know, she uses the computer to email and that. But she said when she's talking to her all her grandchildren, she said, I like to hear their voice. I like the connection. That's very different than emailing back and forth. And she's very adamant about that and how much more of a feeling of, of, of being connected to the family by just being able at least to talk to them and hear their voice on the phone rather than just emailing on the Internet.
5: Well, it's the kind of thing you can see easily just in everyday observation. If you just sit down and watch two people you know, who are walking toward each other to meet. You see they may be walking at different paces. They're walking kind of um, in different fashions. But as soon as they get together, they start to synchronize. They're coordinated. Uh, One may slow to match the pace of the other. Their steps are in synchrony. They're like a well-orchestrated machine. Now there's two people that appear as a unit of one. That occurs without any effort on their part, in fact, without any attention. To the extent that it occurs, Feelings of rapport are greater and feelings of warmth between the two people are greater. That's the kind of automatic process we've been designed to achieve and that you can't achieve through, say, email. Uh,
2: John, if we don't, uh, uh, if we are, and I say suffering from loneliness, and we don't attend to it, is loneliness something that can turn into
5: depression or a chronic state of depression Yes. We, uh, we've looked at that extensively uh, in longitudinal studies. What we've done is to follow individuals over a five-year period and looked at how in the very first year their level of loneliness predicted level of depression or depressed symptomatology in the subsequent years. And we, we take out any effect of current level of depression. And what we find is that loneliness has a very strong effect on subsequent levels of depression. The lonelier you are today, the more likely you are to be uh higher end depressed symptomatology a year from now. All um, right, well we're gonna
2: take a short break and we're talking to John Teek C- Cassiopeo. loneliness, human nature and the need for social connection. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute.
0: radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network.
6: Today's professional woman is confronted by outrageous advertising and cultural pressures that assume how a woman should look and behave. The show Women, Food, Sex, and Power, Rekindling Your Fire will finally challenge these seriously flawed assumptions and discuss daring alternatives. Join host Bethany Gagné for an authentic reflection of the modern woman every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Hey y'all, this is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform, and as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you.
0: Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
2: Welcome back to the Catherine Zock Show and thanks for joining us this morning with Lauren Deller, my co host, and author John T. Cashioppo, author of Loneliness, Human Nature and the Need for Social Connection, which we've been talking about for the past fifteen minutes. Uh lots more questions for you, John. Um, people are there are some there are some very objective reasons that one can become lonely. Um, divorce may be one, or death or uh someone who's been in the military and has to come home and adjust to people that haven't had the same kinds of experiences. So how does that fit into the concept of loneliness?
5: In fact, you're, you're putting your finger on precisely some of the situational factors that have very profound influences on feelings of loneliness and disconnection. There's a captain in the Army that contacted me recently. Um, we talking about the loneliness that soldiers are feeling. Uh, you know, they, they are brought into boot camp, uh, uh, brought away from friends and family. They create a very strong sense of community within the group at boot camp, and then they're sent off, dispersed to various troops in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. And she she's observed that these individuals really struggle with with loneliness when they first arrive. And she you know she observed that they're not dealing with it particularly well. Many many try to hide that sense through alcohol or through other means. And and it's a real problem and just as you suggested when they return they have experiences that are very difficult for them to talk to others about and uh and uh, that makes it difficult for them to reintegrate so it's something that we really do need to be concerned about yeah i think
2: we really health. need to address that don't you because right. the, uh, apparently there's the an extremely high rate of suicide when we, for, for our you know the uh, troops who do come back and and, can, and aren't,
5: aren't able to adjust Right. I, I believe that really is something that should be uh, attended to with much greater urgency than we are.
2: Well, now, in your book, you really do take a step-by-step approach to helping us to reduce our loneliness, our, our individual loneliness. How do we do that?
5: I think one of them is to realize what it is. Um, it, you know, it's not a personality weakness. It's not something that one needs to hide. It's any more than you would hunger or thirst. It's something that we really need to respond to because it's an evolutionarily adaptive cue. It's a really important signal. And so some people, because they feel isolated and lonely and because they feel unsafe, uh, just after a while withdraw. And uh, we see that in soldiers. We see that in in people in our population-based studies. So the first step is to extend yourself. You know, you need to experiment with different ways of relating to people. And the idea is to create a safe environment in which you can do that. One of the things we've suggested is actions like doing community service, perhaps for the troops, uh, get you out in the context to interacting with people in a positive environment and in a safe environment. So one can start to experiment and find really the, the joy that, that exists uh, in interacting effectively and, and synergistically with other people. So that's the first up. And that, John,
2: you know, you can find, I think, which is one of the positive things, I keep going back to the Internet, but if you need to find a group to associate with or to connect with, the Internet is one great place to be able to do that, whatever your issue is or whatever group you want to join, I think. So that's a good thing. You also, like you say, you have to identify loneliness, and one of the ways of doing it, and, and you have it in, in your book, is the UCLA Loneliness Scale. So there's really some markers that you can identify to see whether or not maybe you are someone who's lonely and and you need to do something
5: about it. That's right. And uh, one of the features of the loneliness scale that's in the book is that uh, no one's ever asked do you feel lonely? There's a real resistance because of our culture having characterized it as a as a personal weakness, incorrectly so as a personal weakness, people deny feeling lonely. Uh, so the scale is good because it never actually asked that question and yet it gauges the depth of one's feeling of isolation and loneliness. So let's say you 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 get the book, your book, and you are checking off.
2: Uh, you know, because there are quite a few questions that they ask you about how you feel, and you find out, hey, I might have a problem. Then what do you do?
5: Then I think one of the uh, issues is to, as I said, extend yourself. I would also suggest, though, to kind of develop an action plan, realizing that um, one of the fundamental problems in loneliness is this feeling of threat and unsafe. Even if you're not completely aware of it, that has a very dramatic effect on one's mentation, one's thoughts, one's expectations of others, and one's behavior. We find lonely individuals overinterpret slights and negative behaviors on the part of others, and it's really an effort to protect themselves from further social pain. But that self-protective behavior can be paradoxically self-defeating. If you're aware of that, then you can, uh, you know, things that are more productive for you and for those around you John you talk
2: about the 60 million people in the United States and and there may be more who suffer from loneliness did you find that there were any distinctions between first of all how many lonely men there are how many lonely women and when they are identified is there a difference between men and women in terms of attending to it taking care of it doing something about it
5: Yes, men and women uh, have very similar effects of, from being lonely. They both represent mentally loneliness in the same fashion, but there's a little bit different weighting on certain facets. And specifically, um, one aspect of loneliness is just all the face to face relationships that we have. You know, if you feel disconnected from those around you, friends and family, for instance, uh, you can have friends and family, but still feel like you're not an integrated uh member of those couples or our friendships um, that we call relational uh, isolation or relational connectedness a, a second type of feeling that's within loneliness is the feeling that you belong to a group the feeling that you belong to some social identity if you remember immediately after the tragedy of 9/ eleven there was a sense of harmony and goodwill in America that had, that was really quite unusual and that's that's the sense of common identity. That's what I mean by a social identity. And that's a very important part of being connected with others as well. What we find is that for women, the relational connectedness is weighted more than the collective connectedness and vice versa for men. And the way I kind of think about that is men don't understand girlfriends. They don't understand. My my wife loves to have, you know, loves time with girlfriends. I, I have a hard time kind of understanding why that was so important. On the other hand, she sees me down the you know, in front of the TV on on Saturday watching the Chicago Cubs yet again try to try to pull off a World Series after 100 years of, of failing in that effort. And, you know, she looks at me as, oh, look, the isolate, and yet I'm there with my team. And so that's a difference between men and women that we that's have. That's a
2: great – I love that analogy because that is so true. You're like, you're, there you are connected. I mean, I've got to call my girlfriends, and my boyfriend partner, he'll say, well, why do you have to call your girlfriends because – because I do. That's how I connect. Right. And, yeah, and that, I mean, it's so different. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about some of the women out there. Um, the time that I felt the most disconnected or the most lonely, when I had young children and I had to relate to groups of, let's say, mothers based on the fact that they were other mothers and take, doing the same activities with their children, I really didn't feel close to them or wouldn't have chosen them as friends if I didn't have kids, so I was kind of putting myself into a group for like five to ten years, maybe even ten years, groups that I didn't really want to be in, but I did it for the kids, and there was a sense of loneliness. And then once the kids got in high school and I could do and associate with who I wanted to, it changed. Does that make sense?
5: Absolutely, and I think that also illustrates how it's not the objective social interactive that you're having, it's really your perceptions of them, the quality of it. So if it turns out you're doing that for someone else, for your children, but it's not an important core concept for you, then one can be very busy socially and yet still feel like those those are not the kind of quality, self-defining relationships that one, one strives to have. Yeah, and that's a good point because you see a lot of people doing a
2: lot of things, stressed out, busy, right. you know, 12 hours a day, and yet there's no... There's no real meaning to the relationships in terms of what they're doing and and still feel lonely.
5: One of the positive features of our story in the book is that everyone can achieve social connection. It doesn't require 4,000 friends on Facebook. In fact, that's (laughs) probably not effective. It requires one or two high-quality relationships. The difference between an introvert and an extrovert isn't loneliness. It's in the number of such high-quality relationships that they require to feel connected with those around them. So, John, is this high-quality being
2: intimate? I mean, it ha- is that the word that we would say, intimate relationships, one or two intimate or two or three intimate relationships?
5: Not necessarily. It's it, uh, confidants, people who you can really trust, who you can kind of share your, your inner thoughts and ideals with, and people, as you were suggesting by your own story, people who share values um, and and who you can achieve greater meaning with. We're, we're driven to achieve meaning and connection with others. And so sharing that value system is important.
2: Okay, we've been talking about individuals. What's the impact on our society if we don't take a look at ourselves and, and you know the 60 million of us who may be lonely and don't address the issue? How does that impact our society?
5: Well, in a number of important ways. Kind of the simplest way is that loneliness is uh, leading to increased disease, earlier deaths, higher health care costs, uh, and greater misery in, in everyday living. Uh, this is not something that's, uh, that's a sign of a healthy society. And so partly we need to kind of put aside our myth of rugged individualism and realize that we are born of abject dependency, and we really don't outgrow the need to be a social species to relate effectively in, in a quality fashion with others. And again, it's not the number of such. It's not the depth of your Rolodex. It really is the depth of your appreciation and interaction with a few individuals.
2: In your experience, John, are we more lonely as a society, United Americans, than, let's say, other countries? Or how do we fit into the, the loneliness scale in terms of uh, internationally?
5: It's interesting. Uh, we are uh, intermediate, um, but one of the things we've found that's surprising is that the collectivist cultures, China, Italy, in contrast to Denmark, United States, for instance, the the experience of loneliness given disconnection is actually greater in the collectivist cultures. And that actually makes sense as soon as I explain it. And that is, if everybody around you and your culture, if everyone around you is connected, they're with their family, they're with their friends, and your culture really values that, say in Italy, versus in Denmark where being an individual is, is kind of more standard and you see a lot of individuals walking around, in that fashion. If you all of a sudden find yourself bereaved, the intensity of that experience is actually greater, but also the resources for getting all over it are greater because you have friends and families there who will attend to that need. John, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning, and I want to listeners to know that
2: they can purchase the book online. Loneliness, human nature, and the need for social connection. Is there a website that we can go to for more information about the book about you? There is,
5: uh, scienceofloneliness.com, and uh, among the things on that site are, uh, is, is a tab called News, and every couple of days we update uh, research that, that's being performed around the world on the topic so that listeners can uh, find out the very most recent science on the topic scienceofloneliness.com
2: and the title of the book is Loneliness, Human Nature and the Need for Social Connection John T. Casciopo and he co-authored the book with William Patrick thanks so much for being on this morning thank you very much great talking to you uh, great book and uh, you, as scienceofloneliness.com listeners you can go there for more information as John said we are going to take a short break and when we come back it's Lauren Beller and Catherine Zox on Voice America at com.
4: Hey, Ranger, why do you have to remind people to be careful with fire? Well, Mr. Mountain Lion, sometimes people need to be reminded about certain things, like not to run with scissors or let children play with wild dingoes, and to be responsible for fires, they start. So what you're saying is that people can be careless and forgetful? Pretty much. <laughs> that makes me very sad. Sounds like someone needs a hug. Back over, I'll turn your hat into confetti!
5: Remember, only you can prevent wildfires. A public service message from Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, State Forester, and the Air Council.
6: Experts say everybody is addicted to something. Did you know that addiction affects about 15% of our country's middle class population? How many people do you know who are dependent on some kind of substance? Would you guess your friends? Your neighbors? How about your family? You may be surprised. Many of us live with chronic pain, which has made us drug dependent, prescription drug dependent. Others struggle with alcohol, methamphetamine, and cocaine addiction. Do you have a chronic pain problem? There is another way out. Tune in each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for a new prescription for health with Dr. Richard Graser on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Great guests, great stories, great listening. Voice America, Women's Radio Network.
1: Listening to the Katherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. That number again is eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight.
2: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, and I'm your social worker with the microphone on Voice America Women's Network with Lauren Deller, my co-host. Uh, Lauren, I hope you're not lonely because you know I, I kind of got the feeling from John when I said that you know I like being alone and I can people can be with me or not I don't care am I into denial like I really am lonely and maybe I better address it I'm not sure he was saying that but um, I. um he might have been implying it Yeah, <laughs> <I, I guess. laughs> he might have been implying it it's true uh, but, but I don't
3: I'm with you and I don't know if I don't I don't feel like I deny it I feel like I'm just I have really good connections with people. For me, they feel good connections and intimate connections. Men, women, I don't mean that sexually in any way. It's just the intimate conversation I can have with many people, and it doesn't have to be face-to-face. It could be by phone, and they're very satisfying.
2: That's how I I feel, too, and that's what I meant by intimate. I didn't mean necessarily that you're having sexual intercourse (laughs) with them. I do. I meant intimate in terms of, like, I can't, like, being able to say what you mean and just Get it out there and say it. What I do have difficulty with, and I, I mean, this—you know if you go to a party and standing there, I can do it very, very easily because I can just talk much ado about nothing. But I find that so wearing, like going and talking about stuff that's just, it doesn't really, I don't care about, you know, where you had, ate dinner last night or all that. Stuff. Not really talking about your feelings. I find that really wearing. I find that wearing. I agree. I agree. It's exhausting it's exhausting Yeah, if I can't have an intimate relationship with somebody. I tend to think, and I I think men do that more. I think that they talk about business and, and sports and who won the game, but maybe who won the game is an intimate thing for them, as he said, or you know, being connected to something. See, for me, it's not. I mean, I, I need to know the real intimate details if someone's talking to me, if they're telling me about a wedding they went to or something they did. I, I want to get the feelings behind it.
3: I agree. I yeah. <laughs> I, it's interesting how certain people can feel isolated, and you put the same person in the same situation, and they don't. So I loved his thing. There's like the hereditary genetic
2: piece. I didn't. I, it's something. Something's up with that. Oh yeah, definitely. People who can be in situations where people do love them. That's the example he gave in the book. She had the the girl who had, she had a lot of family. She was in a small town. I mean, there were a lot of connections there, but yet she. For her was lo- she was felt lonely because she didn't feel like she connected. Uh, so, yeah. But don't there is... you think that's our
3: issue? Like, it's our issue of if we—in other words, I think people could be really isolated and live in a closet for a part of their life and feel okay, and other people couldn't. Yeah, I,
2: exactly. I do too. Yeah, I
3: mean. This, so it's there, your the own relationship with yourself, and really, and really, is what he's saying. I yeah. imagine
2: underneath it all. Yeah, except for some of those Dirk. Objective circumstances that all of us makes us feel disconnected or lonely or isolated. Uh You know, we mentioned divorce usually does, at least for a certain period of time, not necessarily, you know, for, forever. Forever, yeah. Well, here's a book if you want to learn how to get people to like you and make a connection in a very easy way. How to make people like you in ninety seconds. <laughs> Nicholas Boothman, and he has some really. Um, interesting tips about how to actually communicate with people, face-to-face communication, so that you can uh, make some kind of a connection in 90 seconds, which should be a very positive thing. Not just for your psyche, but... <laughs> 90 seconds or less. I love yeah, it. Yeah, 90 seconds or left, less. He said when you first meet somebody, one of the things that you have to do in order to make that connection... Um, well, it's the way you engage people and the way you talk. Here's one. for Well, have a positive attitude, number one. You know, if you don't have a positive attitude, then forget about it. Okay, attitude is everything, he says. So whatever the attitude you bring to when you start talking to somebody is really important. Uh, if It's really useful attitudes, warmth, enthusiasm, supportive, relaxed, obliging, curious. There are a lot of different kinds of useful attitudes. Here are some really useless attitudes. Angry, sarcastic, impatient. It's forced, true. Disrespectful, conceited, pessimistic, and you can rude. Those are really useless attitudes. They're not going to get you anywhere. It's true. And yeah. the one that sticks out on there for me is impatience.
3: And that's like such a naturally ingrained one. Like I watch my two and a half year old, she naturally is impatient. And I, I don't know if that's a learned thing or it's interesting.
2: Developmentally, two and a half year olds are supposed to be impatient exactly. that's what I would think, yeah. yeah, and that's how you begin to learn and then your significant parent or whoever it is who's taking care of you, the significant adult begins to teach you how to um Structure that in patience, and two and a half is a really critical stage of development. Did you it know really,
3: that? I, well, you can tell that it is. It's really interesting. She and she knows what being patient is. She understands it consciously, but she is not. And you have to remind her, and she'll she'll go. Ah, Sierra, we need to be patient. So she goes. Oh.
2: <laughs> yes. two year olds tantrums screaming when they don't get their own way uh, all of that stuff happens and that's when they that's 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 actually just the age at which you need to um teach them um how to be somewhat patient, although impatience is one of my problems, too. I get impatient. Uh, Well, you have a pronoun that the two-and-a-half-year-old
3: still exists in you. Yeah.
2: (laughs) We all have a little bit of the two-and-a-half-year-old in us, don't we? Hey, another way of engaging people is asking them open-ended questions like social workers do when they have you in therapy. (laughs) When you meet somebody at a party or when you meet somebody for the first time, ask how did, you know, the the, the The how. The how and the what. The how and the what, not something that can simply be, Answered by yes or no, right, right. How in the what? So it changes my in, like when I inter, when I ask a what question with
3: somebody, I realize I'm really engaged. If I and I find if I'm just asking yes or no questions, I'm like yeah, ho hum. I don't really. I'm not as into the conversation. Want to know
2: what one of my problems is? I'd love to know <laughs> because I'm used to doing interviews, social work, and on the net. Uh, when I meet somebody sometimes and it's it's a stranger, uh, well, obviously if I'm just meeting them for the first time, somebody is a stranger, I, I'm good at being able to get out a lot of information. And I sometimes realize that afterwards that, I've, that they're not comfortable with that and that I've been kind of invasive and they have answered me because that's my skill, I'm able to do that. Interesting. Uh,
3: so you and, get it out of them, and they weren't comfortable because they didn't even know why you were asking such an intimate question.
2: Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's not that it's a trick; it's the way I interact. But then I realize maybe I, I know that they're uncomfortable with having told me more than they wanted to tell me, mm. and that happens a lot. That's interesting because uh, whether it's at a party or just in you know, I can be on a train sitting beside somebody, or you know, on an airplane, or just those kinds of situations where you're talking to strangers and i can feel that they you know after the conversation has ended i can just feel that they thought oh my god i've said too much um and so when you have those skills to be able to do it you have to watch it cause yeah that could make it, powerful it is powerful if you have a big influence on
3: people and you don't even know it in the moment
2: Yeah, and that can be just as devastating. People may never want to see you again after that either. (laughs) I mean, how many times did I mean, I've done that myself. I've told somebody way too much, and they think, why did I do that? I'm embarrassed. Right, right, right. And then, yeah, you isolate yourself. Yeah, because that's another way of (laughs) isolating yourself, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, you're embarrassing. Mm -hmm. That's funny. I've done that too. we like, oh my god, I don't even want
2: to show my face after that happened. Yeah, right. I'll never go back there again. <laughs> or I'll never be invited back there again, probably. Right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the other way of appearing to be friendly, or you are. You're, in- but I am interested. I'm always interested, like what makes people tick and why they did stuff. And I'm not going to use it against them, and I'm not judgmental. But I really am interested. And don't you, is there ever a time that you're not interested? Yeah. Yeah, and then if I'm not, I don't usually get into that kind of conversation anyway. I mean, I've been with people, I think, I don't really care, I'm not interested, and I won't get asked them, you know, I'll just kind of not ask those kinds of questions anyway, the how and the what. Yeah, I think that people perceive me,
3: though, as like cold and uncaring when I'm in that place
2: of not being interested in somebody Well, else. you and I are very much alike. That's. A, that I, he's going to kill me, that's what Barry always said. You and Lauren, you both could walk over somebody. He says <laughs> that about me. That's so funny. Well, I, he detects a similarity in our personality. There really is. Yeah. yeah. Like, and there is. It's very funny. It, and, and we wouldn't. Never no, intentionally. No, not intentionally. But <laughs> um, there's an ability... I don't know. You know what it is? I don't think you're... What's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, Because we only have a couple minutes left. And it's like, I'm not sentimental. And I don't think you're sentimental. Maybe that's what it is. I can be sentimental. I I can be, yeah. But are you? Would you describe yourself as a sentimental person? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't.
3: Me? You wouldn't describe me as that? No. No, I don't. I think that's probably true. But there's some times that I think that... There's some places in my life that I think that I am like, you know... Little things between Rob and I acknowledging those like that. He'll say, Oh you're so sentimental, you know, stuff like that. But it's not like I'm a big I have to do the same thing every year because of sentiment you know what I
2: mean? I'm not like that. Yeah, I'm not either. No. Oh, I mean that's between your husband. Hopefully you have some sentimental stuff on but um <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, like right, sentiment every year you go that kind of stuff. That actually I don't like doing the same thing all the time. It makes me uncomfortable. I like yeah. new stuff. Yeah. I, I, I feel better when I'm doing new stuff. We, got, we have to say goodbye. Already. There's our music. It flew by. Yeah, it flew by. Have a great week. Don't get too hung up on people and too sentimental. You're listening to Catherine Socks, Lauren Bell Voice America Women's Network. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next week.